So usually I just start with a story, but like the readings are so good, I kind of just want to make it a Bible study in some ways. But to explain like the first reading, which is amazing, um, I'm going to have to explain a little bit of Hebrew poetry. So I hope it doesn't get too boring. But in the Bible, there's two creation stories. A lot of people don't know that. There's two creation stories, and they don't match each other, nor are they supposed to, because they tell two different truths from two different angles. So the first creation story is God creates all of humanity at once in great diversity. And the image of God is a community united together. The second creation story, the one we read tonight, that actually is much different. That's from the southern tribes. And the southern tribes had the story that when God created humanity, God creates a single person. And now here's where you, I have to explain some Hebrew. Um, what it says is God scooped up ha adama. Ha is the. Adama is how you say earth. Uh, and made ha adam. So ha adam is the earthling. Uh, in English, you would say Adam, but in Hebrew, it's Adam. Um, so you can hear Adama, Adam, same kind of thing. So it just keeps repeating the story, the earthling, the earthling. And if I just say the earthling, you don't know if it's male or female. Uh, now, in English, it'll change it up so that you can hear it one way or another. But um, actually, it just keeps repeating the earthling, and that's part of the point is, you know, because some people, and I think they're quite silly, like to say, well, man was created first, so he's clearly superior. And other people say, well, that was just the test mod. That was a beta test. Um, the 2.0 is the woman. That's really kind of silly because it doesn't, it just says the earthling. That's going to be key in a second. <coughs> so, um, now, just because in English, I have to speak in pronouns, um, I'm just going to say male. So you have Adam. And think about this. Adam has everything. Vast real estate holdings. Literally the earth. Um, all the gold in the world has it all. And it's not enough. And then he has uh, knowledge. He can name all the animals. It's still not enough. What he feels is this long loneliness, which to me is beautiful. <clears throat> he feels this long... <coughs> sorry long loneliness, and so he prays to God for a savior, and God puts him to death. Now, that should shock you, because <clears throat> in English, we clean it up, and we say God put him to sleep, but actually the Hebrew is he died, and that's also part of the point. He dies and um, says God takes a rib bone, but technically in Hebrew, um, the word for like rib bone and one side of yourself is the exact same word. So the poetry is the ambiguity. Um, did God split the atom or did God just take the rib bone? Oh, good. You got that was a joke. Um, some people, uh, you know, they're also. Anyhow, the reason why we translate it rib, um, rib bone, is because the ancient Jews said this that if God would have taken a bone from man's foot, then man would try and dominate woman. If God would have taken a bone from man's head, 
then woman would try and dominate man. But if he takes the bone closest to your heart, you'll always realize that you're incomplete without somebody to love. And so like in Jewish theology, the, the symbol of the split side means that you can love to the point of death. You know what self-sacrificing love is. So Christ on the cross, the reason why his side is split, it's a symbol of self-sacrificing love. If we had a cross, I'd show you. But um, uh, that's a symbol of the split side, of somebody who can commit themselves, die for somebody else. So Adam does. And when he awakes, he sees the most beautiful woman on the face of the earth. Not literally. (laughs) That's all there is. Um, And... uh, He says, at last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And what that means is, um, where where I'm strong and you're weak, we'll cover each other. Where I'm weak, that's where you're strong. And even when God says, let us make, uh, in English he'll say, like a companion or something. In Hebrew, what God says is, let us make a fit challenger. And I just love that. A fit challenger is like, you match. You're not opposites. You kind of match. But you also challenge each other. Isn't that, I just love that. Um, and it's after that, after he wakes up, after that, when he wakes up, um, that uh, God calls them human beings, ish and isha. Uh, so the theology is this. You're born an earthly. But until you know what it's like, to willing to sacrifice yourself for love, you remain just an earthling. When you know a love that you're willing to die for, then your humanity is born. Then God calls you a human being. It's actually the theology of the cross. Um, and I, I love it, that our true humanity is when we discover what self-sacrificing love is. Um, and the amazing part, if you think about it, like, first... Um, Remember, the point is, what is the image of God? The image of God is, remember Adam has this long loneliness? The image of God is when you know not all the gold in the world, not knowledge, none of that can satisfy you. That you long for this deep intimacy. And it's only really achieved when you've died to yourself for love. The image of God in the second creation story is somebody who knows... this is not enough that they're willing to die for love. That's the image of God. Isn't that beautiful? And the strange part is, a lot of people overlook this. Did you notice how Adam is in paradise, and yet there's a problem, and the problem is loneliness. Why would there be loneliness in paradise? Because God created that way. God, you know, you kind of think, well, when I get to paradise, there won't be any loneliness. Well, um, there's a certain blessedness in loneliness. There is. Um, there's a blessedness in loneliness that the only thing that will satisfy me is deep communion. And like, I know this sounds strange. Now I, I see faces going blank on me. Um, so I'll explain it this way. So, um, like, over 30 years ago, when I was ordained a priest, um, uh, a good friend of mine, he was a monk, he said, let's go to Italy. You have to go to Italy. And uh, I don't know, I, I had to empty out my entire savings. 
went to Italy for two weeks, loved it. Like, you really should go to Italy. Um, anyhow, um, and to keep the expense on, we stayed in monasteries. So when I was in Florence, we're in this monastery. I was waiting for him. All monks go to breakfast together. And I got up early, so I went to the library, and I got this book. And the book was on this mystic. And this mystic says something interesting, where, a um, little background, you know, I'm in my 20s. I may be a priest, but, and I'm not completely stupid, I knew loneliness would always be a problem. It would, like, in years past for other priests, why did so many priests, older priests, become alcoholics? They couldn't deal with the loneliness. And I, you know, I'm at least aware enough, I'm Irish, that that could be my problem. So, you know, I knew I had to deal with loneliness. So, I'm reading this book by this mystic, and the mystic says, God will send you an angel, and if you ignore the angel, then God will send you a demon, but you will deal with something. And this mystic says that loneliness can either be a great blessing or a terrible curse. And when I read that, I kind of thought, he's right. Like, there's a certain blessedness and loneliness. Rather than try and escape it, why not make it a blessing where what really satisfies me is going to be a deep communion and love with others and God. That's the blessedness of loneliness. So yes, in paradise, um, there's a blessed loneliness that made him pray for a savior. I, I love that. Um, and the idea is, once you know that, like paradise or the kingdom of God is not a place where like I'm better than you or I can exploit somebody else or take advantage. I don't want that. I just want this deep communion with other people. Um, that's why there's that blessedness. So the whole point is, wow, how is your true humanity born? Uh, a true human being is one that loves it with self-sacrificing love. So that's a background on that. You have to know that because in today's gospel, the Pharisees, they're always a pain, the Pharisees come and they don't like Jesus. They don't like Jesus and they just want to trap them. And you know what it's like when you don't like somebody, you'll find some reason to convict them. And I'm the opposite. If I like you, really, you could have some serious flaws and I'd be like, ah, oh, they're not that bad. Um, they want him dead. And so they ask this question about marriage, not because they care about the answer. They just want to convict him of something. And notice, technically, Jesus doesn't answer their question. Because their question is, it's about marriage, but how does, a, how, does somebody, how does a husband divorce his wife? And the big argument at the time period was not, should you get divorced? That wasn't even a question. Their question was, how do you get divorced? Because one group said, um, to divorce, all you have to do is say three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And the woman is kicked out with nothing. It's not like today. She's homeless unless she has a son to take care of her. Or the other school said, no, that's not fair. You have to have a written right of divorce because that's what Moses said. But what if you can't write? So Jesus doesn't answer the question, which one is it? Because he said, no. Um, you, when you get married, it's not about legalities, like which legal procedures to use. Because that's what they're doing. If a husband wanted to divorce his wife, for, he could do it for any reason whatsoever. She burnt a dinner, you could get divorced, and you're out with nothing. Or if you wanted to upgrade to a younger model, 
really easy to do. So it's shocking that Jesus, Jesus says no. Oh, when you get married, it's supposed to be like the second creation story. When you get married, where you're willing to die for this other person for love. And even in uh, another gospel, the disciples find this shocking. And they say, well, well who can live like that? <laughs> but that's what, um, for us, that's what marriage means. That's actually revolutionary. You realize that. Uh, before Christ, marriage was just considered a contract where you could cancel and get out of. And Christ isn't really answering the question about divorce. What he's saying is, no, marriage is supposed to be not a man having dominance over a woman and can, you know, fire her at a moment. Marriage is supposed to be like the second creation story, that it gives birth to your humanity. Marriage is supposed to be this challenge and a death where you're willing to die for love. Um, they find that shocking. And it is shocking. But um, here's the thing. For the Pharisees and the disciples, they think marriage was one person having power over another. But the problem is they think that about marriage. They think that about life. They think that about religion. The Pharisees think that as well, that religion is about I'm better than you are. Um, but really, religion or marriage and life, it's not about power over somebody. It's a, religion is supposed to be about this deep communion of love where I've died to my selfishness so I can truly love other people. Marriage is about that I've died to my ego so I can truly love somebody else. That's what we're called for, um, not dominance or to exploit somebody. And that's why after Jesus teaches about marriage, he does this strange thing where he grabs this child. Now, you should think, well, what was that about? He's talking about marriage, and then he you know, once again talks about a child. Well, the child image is this. He's using it one more time, that a child is not seeking power over somebody else, just enjoying their presence. Um, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to become like a child. You don't want to exploit anybody. You just want to love them. And Jesus says it's the hardness of heart that makes you want to think that you're better than other people or dominate other people. If that's what you want, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. If you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you want to become like a child and get back to this innocence where I just have this longing to become better at loving other people. Then we can enter the kingdom of God. But what I really hope is the meaning of the second reading, the second creation story, I hope it's all of our stories, that all of us, we're Adam. We've prayed for a savior, and what God gave us is this death where um, our true humanity is born when we no longer care about ourselves, but when out of love, we're willing to sacrifice for others.